Hello, and welcome to Bible Talk with Jane and Shannon. I'm Jane. And I'm Shannon. And today, we are going to talk about a huge topic, marriage. And when we decided to talk about marriage, I had no idea how or which way we were going to go, because it could go all sorts of different places, but we're just... Well, and, and just as an explanation, when Jane and I do these podcasts, we decide what topic we're going to go with, and then we each do our own research, we don't talk to each other, so the conversations you have us here is the first time we've talked about the things that we've looked at, so we just let God lead the conversation in any direction He wants it to go, and we let go of it from there, so here we go, jumping off the cliff, all about marriage. Okay, well, I want to say first that marriage is the first foundation but that's not uh it's it's the first relationship that's besides god and man it is two spouses together that is uh blessed by god i mean it's like it's the very first one and so i think there's a really importance to that and i want to read something from from uh genesis one and i think the main thing we read about this here is that that marriage, husband and wife, are a team. So God spoke, this is uh, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them. Prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge. Be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. And I I, I just see them as a team, teamwork. Well, you know, they're no longer individuals. They're one Well, obviously thing. God created man and woman because it was necessary for there to be man and woman. That was That was his intention. And he created them, as it says there in Genesis, he created them as equals. He created them to equally, uh, to work in a partnership that can't be um, replaced with anything else. It's a special relationship. Marriage is a very special relationship that is, um, should be held to that standard, too. It's a very special thing. Um, uh, just a couple of statistics I pulled up. The, according to the CDC, the marriage rate in 2019 in the United States was 6.9 per 1,000. And the divorce rate was 2.9 per 1,000. So oh, well. Sometimes they say the 50%, and I, that's actually dropping. Um, Praise God. In South Dakota, where we're at, the divorce rate's actually lower. It's 2.6. Um, but I saw, I saw another article that <clears throat> had some promise, but also had uh, some disturbing things because of our current situation. The way people look at marriage today... Um, it's interesting. As a pastor, it's an interesting thing for me sometimes because I've had people come and ask me um, if I would marry them, and they don't attend a church, and they don't necessarily have any true belief in, in God or anything, but they want to be married in a church. That seems to be, or, or by a pastor at least, that seems to be um, such a standard thing that they want to go with that, even if they don't believe in the concept of a biblical marriage, which I think is... Uh, it's kind of interesting that that people do that. It must go back to a younger time when when 
they were growing up and they thought that was something important. But um, the divorce rate, according to uh, an article in Time magazine that came out in 2018, said that the divorce rate's actually dropping. Uh, there's about a 39% chance of a divorce right now uh, from from marriages, and the much maligned millennials have the an even lower um, divorce rate than any other generation. They're oh. down to about 18%, 18% less than the rest of us. However, um, a couple other things have changed. Cohabitation is much more common. Uh, marriage often, the median age for marriage in, a, in the millennials is 30 years old for men and mm-hmm. 28 for women. But it is the, the cohabitation under the age of 28 uh, seems to be rising much faster than marriage. There's more people living together than there are married. Well, I think I think that is because it's so accepted. It's almost like, oh, your boyfriend and girlfriend, time to live together. Well, it's, it, it's, and I think a lot of a lot of the younger generation um, kind of treat it like a test drive. Yeah, but it's not. Let's a see test if drive. this is going to work before we make this big commitment, which is kind of an interesting thing. Um, you have a fifty-fifty chance. When you're when two people are cohabiting and not being married, of having an unplanned child, sixteen uh, percent of children that are raised with cohabiting parents instead of married parents are uh, below the poverty line. Where eight percent of children of married parents are below the po- poverty line. And the sad part is that if that were to fracture and go apart, well, you wouldn't have both parents in the household anymore. Twenty-seven percent of children living in solo parent households are below the poverty line. Over one in four children in the United States that live with a single parent are below the poverty line. Mm. That's a that's a scary thought, and that's an aspect that I think we need to keep in mind when we talk about marriage. Is um, it affects a lot of people? Yeah, and a marriage affects more than just the two people that are. Making the decision, it affects a lot more people than that. Two, two verses I want to share. A congenial spouse comes straight from God, Proverbs nineteen fourteen b and a cord of three strands is not quickly bro- torn apart, Ecclesiastes four twelve b And what you said about that, a marriage affects so many people, but when you have a strong marriage, it is great protection first for the spouse's, because if, if, like, our marriage is strong, it keeps us from, well, <coughs> from discouragement. It can keep us from sin. It can, it, it's just some kind of, it's a protection, I think. And it's also, it strengthens a family. If there's a strong marriage base with a husband and wife, that it'll make the family strong. And then also, when we think it, it will... It strengthens a community when you have strong marriages in it and a church. Well, yeah, it, obviously all of those things, if the economics are better for married people, then the economics of a community would be better oh, for well, people true. being being uh, faithfully married to each other. Um, I saw a really good quote on, uh, I believe it was crosswalk.com, that said that marriage is the 18-year training center for children to understand the principles of love one another. Mm. If someone, if some, if a child grows up without seeing loving parents, they have no, they have no concept of what a healthy relationship between um, 
two adults or what a healthy marriage would look like. And if you don't have an idea what a healthy marriage would look like, how can you have one? Mm-hmm. That's that's a that's the slippery slope that we run into when people start um, secularizing marriage because marriage is not a secular thing, in my opinion. Well, God created it. God created it, and it is a Christian. It's a Christian foundation, and it is set up under God's rules and God's laws. So I don't see why people can take marriage as being you know, just some sort of a, a tax write-off sort of thing and not take it seriously for what it is. It's, But I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Society's done the same thing with Christmas and everything else. So. Yeah, let me read from Ephesians 5, mm-hmm. and it's talking about wives and husbands. Mm-hmm. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness, and that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor, since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church, and this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. Well, that's that's a. I had that exact same passage oh, pulled up, yeah. obviously, because it's it's the first one we go to. Um, what you just read was from the Message Bible, Message yep. Translation. Um, the NIV translation, the one I have right in front of me, seems to be a some sort of a hooking point for some people. They get very upset about the uh, verse 22 where it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Um, they miss verse 21 which says, Submit to one another out of reverence mm-hmm. for Christ. And they miss the concept that um, wives submit to your husbands the same way the husband is supposed to be fulfilling the role of Christ to the church. In other words, um, Jesus gave everything for us Mm -hmm. and as a husband that is my role to give everything for you it's not to lord it over you or anything like that if some if a male out there is taking this and using it in that format then they're misusing it right if a woman is is angered about that or afraid of that then i think she's misinterpreting what paul was actually saying here and i like the fact that we know paul wasn't married right and i like the fact he says i don't pretend to understand all this. Yeah. It's too much, but he understands the relationship between Christ and the church and the and the he understands that God's intention for marriage was to be that kind of relationship. Well, women want to feel loved or cherished mm. and men want to feel respected. And I'm thinking about that word submit. All of us submit to somebody like if you have a boss, you submit to that boss. And how easy is it to submit to a boss that is a great boss? And how e- how hard is it to submit to a boss that's nasty? 
And so that's kind of, you know, when you have a really good boss, you submit to that person's authority. Well, yeah, I agree. I, I agree with that, that concept. Um, I, I understand what you're saying. I'm not sure I, uh, the boss analogy is the best one, but I, I get what you're saying in there. Um, well, I guess and I said it because I always t- I always took it from a different perspective slightly, and and I know um, it talks about uh, in Ephesians uh, five twenty three uh-huh. for the husband is the head of the wife as the Christ is the head of the church. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so should wives submit to their husbands and everything. I always took that personally as it is my it is ultimately in the end my responsibility. Not because there is a hierarchy and I'm better than you or anything like that, but that in the end, the responsibility for the family falls on me. Mm. And if the as as the husband and as the father, as the as the head of the household, as people would say, the ultimate responsibility for the health and happiness and spiritual growth of my family falls on me. Right. And if I am if I am failing at that, then. I, how can I expect that the family to to, to uh, succeed? So I just wanted to take things another way a little bit. One of the problems that we have with marriage in the United States, and the reason that we got historically that we got to that oh fifty percent divorce things, is because we started passing laws in this country, coming up with what we called no fault divorces. Mm. So that you could just go in, file paperwork, both people sign it, boom. Right. So the the covenant contract, which is what it is, it's a covenant contract. It's a lifetime promise. It's a commitment from the very beginning that it will go to the very end. That covenant promise is broken. And the easier it gets to break your word and to break those Mm -hmm. promises, the less and less meaning that promise has. Yeah, it's kind of like you go into it thinking... Well, this might not work out. When we're supposed to go into marriage, life or death. I mean, it's it's uh, it's till death do us part. But I don't think maybe it's our we're so quick at quitting things in our society, and we have such disposable things, and we see so much, uh, you know, celebrities and. And the things we hear in the news that people, oh, she broke up with him and now she's with him. Or he broke, they're divorced and now they got a brand new marriage. And 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 the things we see, it's like we're conditioned to think, oh, this is no big deal to break up a marriage. Or Yeah, and, it, and it's a challenge when something like that happens for people to justify and to explain it. And there's there's three lies that are commonly employed in these situations where people just want out of something because it's uncomfortable. Mm. Nothing is more selfish than a marriage. When people first get married, it's because they really want to and they really want to be with that person and they really want that time together. Mm -hmm. The challenge becomes when they are together all the time, then, well, what about me? What about mine? And then it starts to pull back again, and it goes back and forth. And that's something that you learn in in marriage. You go through that, and you learn that, hopefully early on. And then from then on, it's a, it's a full-time commitment. Wait, but you said there were three lies. The three lies are, the first one, it's okay to say we're just not compatible. 
Ugh, that's an awful one. Marriage makes you compatible. If you are going to make that covenant uh, commitment to someone, marriage makes you compatible. It's not like, oh, there's some one person in the world for me, and I guess you're not it. i got to go find the next one. Mm. No, marriage is what makes you compatible. None of us are compatible. No. As individuals. you got to work on it. It has to be a learned response, a learned uh, behavior towards each other. It has to be a growing situation. What's the second lie? The second lie is, oh, you deserve more. What? You can, you can do better than this. You deserve more. You deserve more. Oh, yeah. And that's the selfishness again. And what about my rights? What about me? What about what I want? And so many times people are so afraid of the commitment and the relationship Mm -hmm. that they cling to the exterior instead of the interior. And eventually that pulls. They want, you know, single guys have been hanging around with their buddies and doing all that kind of stuff, want to get married and still hang around with their buddies and do all that kind of stuff. And then eventually the friction starts. Mm. And then they start picking the exterior over the interior and the family starts to pull. And if you don't have God binding you together, that pull... Can tear you Can apart. tear things, yeah. yes. Okay, what's the third lie? And the third lie is that marriage is a 50-50 situation. Oh, yeah, no, it's not. It's 50-50. No, it is not. Half effort will never be enough in anything you do. There's nothing you can do 50% and expect to be successful at. There is absolutely no job you can be do 50% and do well at. There is no sports you could play at 50% effort and expect to be good at. There's nothing in our lives that we say it's a 50-50 thing. It should be a 100-100 thing. Yeah. I put 100% of mine, you put 100% of yours, and that's how it works. Mm-hmm. And the third element, of course, is like you said, a rod of three is not easily broken. Once we add God into the equation as a binder, as the glue, mm-hmm. so many people say, oh, we, we just fell in love. It's all about love. That natural human attraction came from God, too. Right. I'm sure God made Eve a hottie. Oh, so I'm Adam sure immediately looked at Eve and said, whoa, look at that. Mm-hmm. But it was God that put them together. Okay, let me read and what- I think it's the same with all of us. Yep, I want to read this because this is, goes right. Jesus, these are Jesus' words on marriage from Mark ten six through 9, or 8 through 9. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. I want to bring that up because now God, when he sees a marriage, he, I mean, he still sees the two individuals, but... He focused... What's wrong? Well, which, which verse did you Oh, it was verse 6, and then I, I skipped 7 and went down to 8 and 9. Oh, so, okay, because I'm, I'm looking at Matthew nineteen five, and it says, For this reason man will leave his father and mother and be united to his yeah, wife, and the two will become flesh. Right, that's... That's and, 19. Right. So. Well, no, this was Mark. You're talking about Matthew. Matthew, yeah. Yeah, I'm yep. in Mark. Yep. But anyway, but I wanted to bring up that one flesh thing, and that's mm-hmm. also in Genesis 2, that they shall become mm-hmm. one flesh, because... With as one flesh, going back to that team analogy, you know, you don't do you do what's best for the team. You do what's best for the the one flesh. Mm-hmm. It's you're not individuals anymore in the sense that what comes first. What comes first is your marriage, not Jane's needs or Shannon's needs. It's the marriage and how that marriage can be strengthened 
and when our marriage is strong, our family is strong, and it's a we each have our positions we play, but we can't just go off and do whatever we want. I mean, we have total freedom, but if what I want to do will jeopardize my relationship with Shannon, then I better not do that. You know, I mean, and that, but that is not because. It's not because the Bible says you shouldn't. It's because you want to. Right. That's right, the difference. Right. Yeah. You want to do things that are beneficial and not uh, negative. Um, oh, I want to say I, one thing. The other thing okay, I want to bring out is out of both of our passages here, both from Mark and Matthew, that says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. That's an interesting um, analogy there too where Jesus is talking about here about leaving your mother and father as the husband as the one who is ultimately responsible Mm -hmm. from a man's perspective that is the ultimate step into manhood because you just became responsible for another human being you are not just responsible for yourself Mm -hmm. when you are living with your parents you're just responsible for yourself and they'll take care of all your details for you right you are just responsible for yourself the minute you take you say you are going to marry someone, you become responsible for another human being, for that person's feelings, for that person's heart, for that person's uh, well-being, for their health, for their welfare, for everything. So once you do that, you have to step away from that role. And I think too many times I've seen it, Wait, what role? the role of being a child oh, the, and stepping oh, into yeah. the role of being a man. Right, right. And too okay. many times I see people that jump into a marriage because they love somebody but they don't want to give up the boy part. Oh, yeah. And they still want to be the child. Mm. And mom does my dishes and mom washes my clothes and I married somebody just like mom and I'm just going to still know. That's not what we're called to do. For this reason, we were, we will leave your mother and father and be united with your wife and you become one flesh. In other words, my children are appendix of me right now. They are like my arms and my legs. They are part of our family. They are connected in that way. As difficult as it would be, like when our daughter got married and moved off to Montana, we love our son-in-law to no end. But they are a whole separate unit from us now. Right. They have a child of their own. They have their own family. And while we love them and we spend as much time with them as we possibly can, and Jane talks to my daughter every single day on the phone, and I get upset if I don't get pictures forwarded to me and my grandson. They are their own family. They mm-hmm. are their own family unit, and they do stand on their own. So as a father, I have to let that go. Right. But as a father of sons also, who I have one that's about to be married next next year, I have to make sure he understands, and I think he does completely. I'm not worried about that, that this step for him is the same thing. Mm-hmm. This is his step into, boom, now right. I am physically and, and emotionally and spiritually and financially responsible for someone else, not just me. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle in marriages because they're not, they're not willing to take that commitment and say, uh, you're my responsibility. It's if a- you're not happy, it's my responsibility mm-hmm. to see what I can do to fix that. If you're sick, it's my responsibility to help you heal. If you're bored, it's my responsibility to find out what we need to do to fix that. And that that challenge for a man um, 
mm-hmm. can get overlooked when people are talking about what you need to do for marriage. They overlook the fact that once you become one flesh, you can't separate that anymore, and you are fully codependent upon each other. It's like the liver and the lungs. Mm. Once you're one flesh, you can't separate them again. Because when you do, you break it. Now, I've heard and I've read, and I'm just doing this. I, this mm-hmm. is not from experience, but from what I've read, is that actually um, a divorce is more painful than a death of, of a spouse. Because, well, actually, I don't know why. But I guess because, well, uh, because the person didn't leave you. I mean, like if I was in a car accident, it wasn't because I left you. But I also... When someone dies, you don't have a feeling of rejection. Oh, well, that's true. It's the rejection difference. When someone dies, there is an immense loss that will never be replaced. Right. We know that. From losing that. Not from us, but yeah, from we losing, know that our daughter. From losing our yeah. daughter. That yeah. there's there's that hole will be there forever. But that hole is, for lack of a better term, kind of a clean cut. Mm. Especially as a Christian, because we believe that while we while they are separated from us now, they will not be separated right. from us forever. Where rejection is a permanent separation. Right. And that that's what makes that so painful. And I have also read that they they uh, they followed a bunch of these couples who got divorced, and then like five years later, they went back, and all of them like regretted it. Well, yeah, and I think that's that's common. I'm not saying that you know there are situations where someone gets into a marriage and it is uh, if it's unhealthy or unsafe, then they need to find a way to right put themselves in a safer situation. I'm not saying that yes, by any means. And I want to bring that up too. Like if you're listening to this and you're in a, an abusive relationship, please, you need to be safe. So, And your safety has to take uh, a priority because you can't function as a husband or a wife without being safe. And that's not saying the marriage is automatically over because of that, but there's obviously things need to be worked on. And maybe that's a time when you need to physically separate yourself hmm. until the rest of the stuff can be settled. Well, People uh, change. People yeah. can change. However, if it's a situation where someone is being physically hurt or emotionally damaged, um, that has to be fixed first or there's no way that, that the, right. the, the marriage situation when in close quarters with each other will ever work. Well, a marriage, I think, when it's functioning correctly, is a haven from the world. Right. It should be a place of restoration, a place where you, it's like coming home. It's, right. It's, uh, you, you get rejuvenated because of your relationship with each other. I don't know if everybody's got that coming home feeling, but, um, partially because we live out in the sticks and we've always kind of lived away from things. There is a feeling when you turn down a road that you know is going to home. There is that feeling that gets there. You know, for me, for me, when I I turn off the highway and we turn on, I turn onto our gravel. I know I still got five six miles to go, but I know I'm on that road. And when I turn down that driveway, which is a little over a mile long, definitely it, it's an acceleration of that feeling of home. You know, and we don't go running out in the yards anymore anymore because at our age we just don't do those things anymore like we used to. But the dogs are always out there greeting me. When I come in, the dogs are running and jumping up and down. Well, maybe I should. Here comes the car. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll do that Monday night. 
this this conversation we're having about marriage is, um, I think, foundational to our faith. It's foundational to our family, and I think it's foundational to our country as well. Oh yeah. And I think this country, our country, is founded on on Christian principles, and I don't think anybody who knows a drop of history can deny that. And the concept of the family unit um, is a core principle of that. Without the family unit, what 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 other organization can there be? There has to be a family unit. For there to be a family unit, the intention, of course, is that there be a mother and a father, which means there are two people that are married mm-hmm. that are the center of that relationship and that unit. Now, when you take a bunch of those family units and put them together, then you get a town or a school or a church or something of that nature. So, and... As a country, I think we were founded on that. And as we wander away from that, it is going to cause a lot of problems, and I think we're going to fall apart. So oh, there's oh. some challenges that are going to come from that. Okay, we're almost done, but I have, I wrote Jane's opinion on why we, Shannon and Jane, are blessed. Because we've been married almost 26 years, and we have a, I love our marriage. And I wrote down 14 things real quick, these Jane's opinions. 14 things. 14 things why I think we are blessed as a couple. Okay, okay. I need to shut up and listen. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just right. rattle them off and then we'll be done. And we're Go just so glad. Oh, wait. Shout out to some friends. Um, Josh and Susie, who are a wonderful couple. We love them dearly and we thank you for listening. And my dear friend Tiffany, who listens too, thank you. You all encourage us greatly. And also Josh and Susie's kids, Zoe, Rio, and Gabby. Okay, Jane's 14 things. On why we're, I feel our marriage is pretty strong. One, Jesus was with us from the beginning. Uh, He was, we're not going to go into that really, but I mean, right away, he was part of our relationship. That's not saying if, if you haven't really put Jesus in your relationship, you can, you can do that now. Just say, Jesus, be part of our relationship. Okay. We pray together daily. That's number two. Three, we try not to get defensive with each other. We give each other benefit of the doubt. We try. We have to give each other grace. Yeah, give each other grace. Four, we enjoy being together. Five, we go to church together. Six, we minister together. Seven, all relationships in our in our lives are in the light. That means Shannon and I, we can read each other's emails or the social media, computer, phones. Just that is the best way to do all that. So if, you know... That we could go on that. That's but that's that's that. That's eight is honesty. Nine we we act as a team because we're a team. Ten we discuss scripture, which I think is a lot of fun. Like we do this. Eleven, God, God is part of our decision making. He's always right there. Twelve and he was always and he has always brought us back. Don't know what that means. Okay. Thirteen we know it is his will for us to have a strong marriage. And if you're married. It's his will for you to have a strong marriage because he's for marriage. And 14, there's no room for pride. I don't know. Anyway, I'm sure well, I, I could think I of like a billion other too. ones. but I agree with all of those. And I think... Um, what did I mean he always brings us back? I guess he always brings us back together. No matter where we go, no matter what we do, we've been all over the place. We've been gypsies all over the place. I, I think I was but, thinking about it. if we had a fight, he always restores us because I'd pray, oh, huh? Lord restores, even though if I don't want well, to. Well, and I, I, I want to just bring up another one there. You okay. talked about the decision-making process. And when we make a decision, we may not agree on that decision, but every time we don't agree on that, we say, well, let's pray about it. 
Yeah, we do. And then the answer comes. And anytime we do that, it seems to work out for us. So, folks, I cannot tell you this enough. If you do not have Christ as an active part of your relationship, and like Jane said, that means you pray together, that means you look at Scripture together, that means you go to church together, that means you discuss things on a spiritual level together, you're missing a big, big, warm, strong part of your relationship. Because... God is love. God, uh, ag- agape love, um, what, uh, unconditional love, only found in God. And so if you want that kind of love in your marriage, you have to have let God be part of it because we as humans, we can't love each other fully. So uh, there are times I'm going to fail Shannon even if I don't want to because I'm human. I mean, I get tired, uh Whatever, but God never fails. Romantic love can fail, but God's love doesn't. Right. And, and when we have God's love for each other, Jane is not only my wife and the mother of my children, she is my best friend, and she is my sister in Christ. And as those things have matured and developed, our relationship has matured and developed, and we've just drawn, drawn closer and closer through that. Well, anyway... We could go on and on, but I think well, that's good for the we first We could one. go on and on, but yeah, I, I am going to go on and on. I want to do, I want to, not now, but oh. I want to do another one. I, I've, doing all this research, I want to okay. do one from a man's, man's perspective, too. Uh, so, well, Marriage from a man's perspective? Yep. What am I going to do But we'll do that. One? Well, you'll be here listening to me and giving your two cents as every day you okay. do. Okay, well, maybe we'll have to do that one next. Okay, thanks for listening. We sure appreciate you. Tell your friends. And keep downloading our podcast and maybe even comment. God bless. All right, God bless.